another NHL draft in the books and uh, some obviously Ontario Hockey League prospects moving up into the next level of their hockey career. But before we get into that, uh, if you're just listening and not watching on YouTube, uh, you'll not recognize this face or voice. Dan Mahar, who is a guy that I've actually known most of my life and reminded me, in fact, just before we started this podcast, that I just got back from New York City. And Dan, you reminded me of a trip we took oh so many years ago. And somehow, I mean, I'm going to blame you for it because you're new to this. <laughs> we got off we got off the train at the wrong spot, ended up taking a really sketchy walk through some really sketchy neighborhoods. And frankly, it's a wonder that we're even here talking right now. Yeah, well, actually, I blame you for following <laughs> me. Uh, anyone that follows me through the the darkness of night in New York has probably got themselves to blame, but, but yeah, that was a, that was an adventure. Um, probably not the best decision-making, but we are, it's a miracle we're here today. Well, not the best decision-making. I recall how that whole trip came together and it was pretty much a random email saying, Hey, I'm going to go to New York because I want to see this was in the Yankees last season at the original Yankee stadium. And it was like a random Wednesday. We left on the Thursday to catch a game on the Friday or something along those lines. But it was very spur of the moment. And you thought of it, but didn't really press me on it. Like, are we going to get tickets? I'm like, of course we're going to get tickets. It's a random game against Kansas City. And getting the tickets turned out to be an adventure <laughs> to itself. Yeah, I remember I, it might not be verbatim, but I think your quote was off. Oh, I've never paid more than 70 bucks for scalpers tickets. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. So my next memory was scalpers actually laughing at us when we said, you know, 100 bucks. Yeah, more like 1500. Yeah. But, yeah. but we ended up with great seats to the game at what, five or 10 bucks over face value from some kid who had seasons that didn't want them. He brought the train to meet us. Like it was a pretty wild experience. And then best of all, we saw Alex Rodriguez make a really bad error on a pop fly in foul territory. Uh, the Royals, I do believe, won the game. So it was, I mean, as non-Yankees fans, we got to see the beautiful Yankee Stadium, Alex Rodriguez make an error, which is always fun. And the Yankees lose. It was, it was great all around. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that the Alex Rodriguez error was anything uncommon, but I, my endearing memory of that uh, that game was, I believe the Yankees were down one run in the ninth, and they got a runner on, the leadoff runner on first and put in a young, at that point, Brett Gardner to pinch run, and he got picked off. And that was my first experience with Yankee fan vitriol in person. They let him have it like I've never seen an athlete take it before and i just said yeah we're in new york this checks out yeah. everything everything checked out and we're still here to uh to reminisce about it today okay so obviously <laughs> our um our long history notwithstanding you're also a longtime ontario hockey league season ticket holder you uh write at recruits.ca focusing mostly on montreal canadians prospects i'm sorry if that team name comes choking out of me but you do you pal you do you um <laughs> wanted to bring you on to get some perspective on obviously the draft that happened a week ago and i think the first thing um i have i have a thought on it but Let's start with you and Shane Wright, not just falling out of number one, Dan, but falling to fourth in the draft. I, I think the Kraken get themselves a bit of a steal here at four, but what do you think of Wright's uh, precipitous drop in the draft? Well, I think I was probably as conflicted as everyone on this one. And I, I actually had the fortune through my contacts with recruits to, to hear from a few NHL scouts on their take on it. And 
kind of matched my eye test as well, which was kind of left you wanting more at each and every time. And one of the uh, more critical scouts on the right file um, was really concerned with the effort, felt there wasn't effort there. There wasn't a compete level. There was not a lot of flash and dash. And he was concerned that Wright might be one of those players that peaked at 15, 16 class was starting to catch up to him and might not ever realize the potential that was there at 16. So there was these, those kind of flags were in the scouting community that um, having said that there's a pretty high floor there. I think um, I look at guys like maybe a Nugent Hopkins as a comparable where you have a guy that could play a two or three C role pretty easily does, does decent work in all three zones, um, but might never wow. You might never bring that elite uh, ability to the table. So I think that started to scare people at the top of the draft. Cause when you're picking top three, four, five, you, you want to hit on elite and right. Just didn't show a lot in particularly in the playoffs in the OHL playoffs ran into a North Bay team that was good, but certainly is going to face a lot better defenders in his career. And he couldn't muster much against them. And I think that really might've been the final straw. Okay. So. You, you mentioned eye test. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but if indeed, and I've heard similar things, one of the scouts I trust the most over at hockeyprospect.com talked about compete level and, and it just wasn't there. I take his word over because I didn't have much in the way of the eye test for obvious reasons. We'll get back to that. But when you talk about him maybe peaking at 15, 16, can we dovetail this into a conversation about the exceptional player status and whether or not it's I, I'm, I'm conflicted. First of all, I don't like exceptional. I think it's a bad label. I think it's bad language. I think we could change it to early entry, for example. But and, and where I get conflicted, though, is if if somebody is good enough at 15, like you don't want them. I think they're almost wasting a year of development if they're just going to dominate at AAA and put up 160 points. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, there's probably a little bit of an argument to be made on both sides. If they're truly exceptional, you get a Connor McDavid coming in. John Tavares was similar at that age, and you you don't want them dominating 15-year-olds and making a mockery of it and stalling their own development. So you need maybe a recourse for them. I think since some of those cases, it's almost become a little bit of a marketing ploy by some families and some kids at the top. And this year, what you see, three applications for it. Hard to believe there'd be three exceptional, truly exceptional players in the same draft class. So I just worry a little bit about the optics of it and families. And I think maybe that played in a little to the Shane Wright thing where people remember that he was exceptional at 15. And that that weighs on you as a scout. You're thinking, ah, maybe he is that good. Maybe I should be really strongly considering him. And you're not really seeing the warts and the flaws. So it, it's a tough file to deal with. But to my mind, we... I agree with you wholeheartedly. The term exceptional is problematic. Um, maybe if we just rolled it back a little and said um, tr the truly elite players from that class, if they meet certain criteria, yes, they they can play in the OHL. But it would have to be truly elite. And I, see, I seem to see a lot of fringe cases lately. So on the eye test piece, uh, thanks COVID, I got to see in his three years in the league, should have been six viewings. And again, even that six viewings over three seasons, forget about that's why the scouts get paid what they get paid. And that's why they do what they do. Uh, but should have been with the East West crossover, obviously six viewings. I got to see Shane Wright three times. And the only reason I got that third time. So obviously in his rookie year, there's the two viewings Then we have a lost year. And then this most recent season where there was West versus West only and East versus East, there was no crossover just so happened 
Uh, we had a weekend where I worked a Rangers game on the Friday night and there was no other hockey for me that weekend. So went down to Hamilton and just, it turned out Kingston was in town, watched the Bulldogs play uh, the Frontenacs and saw Shane Wright go two and two, two goals to assist, looked pretty good out there. Again, one random Saturday in November of 2021. So who knows? Again, hearing from scouts that talked about the compete level, maybe not being there. Uh, I'll take them at their word, but I'm going to say this about that. I'm going to take the entirely lost season and say that was the number one factor in Wright's drop in the draft, right? Because he didn't have anywhere else to play. What could he do? Some kids that were in in um, had opportunities in the U.S. and certainly kids in Europe. Obviously, we saw kids go from here to Europe to play during that lost year whether Shane Wright should have looked for that opportunity or whatever, but you take an entire season away from a guy. And that to me is the number one reason he went from a consensus number one to a number four. Yeah. And that's a, that's an extremely valid point. And I, I completely agree that the loss season is the number one factor. It's not the only factor, but, but it is the number one factor. I think you're right. And you saw it with the OHL in general, uh, just a couple OHL players picked in the first round, which is rare. Um, there wasn't a ton of elite standout uh, performances in the league this year. Uh, but just to play devil's advocate on the other side, hearkening back to some of these comments I heard from scouts around the time of the draft and Shane Wright, they did point out that Wyatt Johnson wasn't stung by the, uh, the lockout or the shutdown. There were, you could cherry pick four or five other cases of kids that seemed to excel. Um, so it, it's not the only factor, but absolutely it's a, it's a top factor. It's a year that, Shane Wright probably couldn't afford to lose, and he did. It's a great point, especially with the Wyatt Johnston comparator. And I still think that the Seattle Kraken at number four are getting themselves a highly motivated, highly skilled hockey player moving forward. I don't think we should be signing the uh, the death certificate for Shane Wright's career. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> also a very fair point. I actually kind of liked what Seattle did with the draft, and just not to digress too much, but they clearly liked what they saw from the OHL more than some teams. I mean. Snagging Ty Nelson in the third round seems like a, a bit of a steal to me. I know he's not the tallest defender you have, but you've got Ty Nelson and Shane Wright both joining the Kraken franchise. And those were two pretty highly touted prospects coming into the OHL. So some potential there for sure. On the Ty Nelson front, uh, perhaps one of the highlights of the entire season was Ty Nelson mic'd up at the prospects game. We need more of that, please. <laughs> that was fantastic. Seems to own a lot of personality, and I think the uh, expansion franchise is going to love those two for sure. Yeah. All right. There's there's another player in particular I want to focus on. He went to Anaheim at number 10. I'll park that for one second. But when you look at the draft overall, and you mentioned sort of the the, the scarcity of OHLers in, in the first round this year, but anything else surprise you, Dan, this time around in the NHL draft? Well, as it, as it relates to the OHL, I think one thing like contextually to keep in, in mind that's the competition's fierce now. The Canadian junior hockey used to be on this pedestal and it was the prime source of NHL talent. It still is a prime source of NHL talent, but the competition is so widespread now. With There's even junior leagues in, in Germany and Switzerland that are producing players now. So you've got the USHL has really improved, of course, the NCAA in Europe. So I would say it's shocking that we didn't have as much OHL content at the top of the draft. What I... One trend I did know that I think was maybe a little bit surprising was just it's there were a few players that probably dropped a few shelves from where they probably should have slotted in a normal 
normal times. And I, I wonder if that's tied to some of the general consensus I heard around the scouting community this year that uh, there wasn't that high high level of play in the OHL this year that they're accustomed to, and it's probably due to the pandemic and some other reasons. But they were trying to wait. How do you how do you factor that in? It's not the typical OHL we're seeing. Not there were a few players that went to the AHL that normally wouldn't have gone to the AHL, and there were some of these factors. So, but it seems like a lot of scouts, a lot of NHL teams docked players from the OHL accordingly. You know, so that, that surprised me a little. It, it's such a good point because we talked about it a lot during the season that just was. And I don't think there's any question that the product we were seeing on the ice night in and night out just didn't match what we were accustomed to. I will say that I was extremely heartened by the conference and then OHL finals uh, because I I felt as though the the play had elevated. I, I think that that Flint Windsor series is a is a great example in the West. It was really high level hockey, and then the OHL final. When you look at the uh, the attendance setting record or record setting attendance in the in the final game, game seven, which is a tremendous thing, and then the series itself going seven. It is my hope because I'm such a passionate fan of this game and this league that they can use the momentum from what was really almost a classic OHL final to build into next season, because there's no question that the lost season is, Oh, just what a, what a gut punch really it is for the league. And you talk about the the competition now around the world, the Ontario hockey league had best understand how truly, I, I don't think devastating is too strong a word, how devastating the impact of that lost season really was and the work that needs to be done to bring the game back to the level it was before it lost the season. Yeah, and, and that's an excellent point. And I think your observations are bang on. We uh, saw that locally here in Kitchener as a, a frequent attendee of games here. I think the passion was down a little bit. Um, some of the enthusiasm, the attendance for sure. I think at, you, you made a very good observation with the league finals. And I think the playoffs in some fashion rescued this season for the OHL. It brought some of that back. The attendance came back. The passion came back. Using the Kitchener example, clearly had a, a relatively successful playoff run this year where they looked like they brought some to jump back to the building and there were some positive signs for the future. And you see some of these organizations now starting to say the right things and, and talk as though they understand that, that there's some work to do to bring people back from the pandemic. And we see it across a lot of sports and a lot of events where attendance is down, people find other things to do, all these kind of things. So there's work to be done now that some complacency that might've happened pre-pandemic is, is starting to, to subside and we might hopefully return to the product we're used to. I certainly hope that because we saw attendance numbers down, of course, around the league, but it's, it's particularly glaring in a market like Kitchener when I I think the number was, if it was four, that's the most that were over 5,000 fans in attendance. And, and that's, uh, that's just not, that's not typical at all, not to state the obvious. Okay. I want to come back to um, another player that, that really, I know was, he was a guy that we were both high on, uh, during the season, and Anaheim snags him at number ten. My only question around Pavel Minchikov, and and I mean no disrespect to the Saginaw Spirit uh, as an organization or as a team last season, but I I think it's easier. I know I know it's easier. We all know it's easier to stand out as really great on a team that's not really great. The Saginaw Spirit were not a great team. Minchikov, when you saw him on the ice, was was a force. There's no question. How do you like him going ten to Anaheim? Uh, I'll be honest. It was a little high for my liking. Uh, I, I, terrific player, terrific tools. No doubt about it. He's a first round talent. 
no shock at all that he was going. I personally had him going closer to 20. Um, there are a few players I liked a little better in that range, but Anaheim, their scouts, I'm sure, know more than I do. Um, get him out there along, alongside Drysdale and get a little OHL content. But I, I, I think Minchikov has the sky's the limit talent-wise, skating-wise, terrific feet, excellent passer and vision. Can be a little bit of an adventure in his own end at times. And, and like you said, to your point, Saginaw was not terribly structured, not terribly functional um, this year. So, so it's hard to necessarily evaluate players like that. He probably tried some things that some coaches wouldn't let him try, which helped you stand out to scouts. So there's that positive. Um, but I, there's obviously work to do there. So I really like his upside. And I think if Anaheim's confident, they can, they can work with that. But I don't, I don't see him as an NHL player this year. I'd be surprised. Um, but down the road, for sure, that's, a, that's an upside pick. Yeah, and, and a nice piece to remain, because I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any, uh, any danger, if you will, of Minchikov jumping to the NHL right away. So that's a nice piece for the Saginaw spirit to continue building around. Obviously, they win that draft lottery, and that's lovely for them. And so we'll see, uh, we'll see what the league looks like. I, I'll tell you, I'll just add this in there. Holy moly with the Western conference shaping up for 22, 23 and the Midwest division itself. I know Saginaw's in the West division, but you look at the Midwest division and it's going to be like hammer and tong Erie, I think is still a half step away, but the other four teams in the Midwest look out for this season. Holy Moses. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I look at it. It's always been scary. Like I can't remember the last time it wasn't too scary. Um, but wow, is there ever a lot of talent coming back here? And I mean, you look, obviously I have Guelph as, as probably the powerhouse there with some of the talent they've got, they're returning um, and bringing in. Owen Sound has a lot of young talent that's about to take a step forward. London's always right in the mix. And then Kitchener to me is the complete wild card. If they get some of these kids to report that could report, they're right in the mix. So look out. <laughs> so obviously we try to keep our eyes on the league in general there are 20 teams but uh being based in kitchener and obviously as i broadcast for the rangers that's the fan base i hear from the most and one of the first questions i got dan after the first round of the nhl draft was completed was whether or not montreal's selection of philip Mesar is going to in any way advance the possibilities of Mesar showing up in Kitchener because of course and again fans will be what fans will be but Ben Shutron former Ranger I say in air quotes because really a former Spitfire but anyway whatever uh is a scout with Montreal is Ben Shutron somehow going to put an ear into the Montreal Canadiens organization to get Mesar to Kitchener I say absolutely not but these are the things that fan bases get excited about well and and, and don't discount that I'm not going to put this all on Ben Shutron but uh <laughs> What I do know is, uh, you know, me putting my plugs in where I can for them to say, I'm obviously a big believer. It's not just a kitchen thing. I'm a big believer in the OHL and junior as a, as a breeding ground. I think there's nothing uh, about the league that isn't appropriate for a kid that age, uh, especially to develop the pro game uh, on North American ice. What I can tell you about Mesar is, I don't know if you heard, he signed his ELC today, which means Montreal is committed to keeping him in North America this year. So returning to Slovakia, the Finnish league, which were possibilities, not options. He's going to be Montreal, Laval, or Kitchener. And I I know GM Kent Hughes was a little non-committal when asked directly about it. Um, having said that, I would have to 
handicap the odds at about 75% of him actually showing up here. I know he, the kid himself, is quite open to Kitchener. He's he's flat out said he he's willing to report to Kitchener and thinks it would be a good step. It's now in the hands of the Habs and and don't discount it. Um, I think there's a pretty good chance. Yeah, I, I don't uh, dispute that at all. And I also don't want to diminish Ben Chutron's role. Great guy, great former Ranger. Ran into him for the first time in forever because he's based out West, but at a game in Erie this season. Had a nice little chat and catch up. And uh, there's a little note in the calendar somewhere to get him on this podcast at some time in the not too distant future and, and catch up with them. Uh, okay. Before we wrap this up, let's just, because you got me thinking about it when you mentioned the worldwide uh, field, really arena for players and the competition and being so fierce and maybe the OHL isn't quite on or the CHL really on that, that pedestal. It was historically uh, you look at the NHL draft 25%, give or take is the number of um OHLers that have gone in the first round historically, so it's a pretty good number. Overall, about 20% of players that have come through the Ontario Hockey League have been drafted somewhere into the NHL. Doesn't mean they played, but they were drafted. They earned that next step, so it still speaks to its its development possibilities. But when you talk about the worldwide arena for players and competition, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to our buddy with the London Free Press, Ryan Payette, beating that drum over and over again, the London Knights have the most prospects in the world. He was very clear in pointing out, uh, drafted into the National Hockey League at 191 prospects through the Knights organization into an NHL fold. Uh, I believe the numbers go from there. Peterborough, Oshawa, Kitchener in terms of top four. I've got to do a lot of a deep dive into figuring out all of those uh, those numbers and machinations there. But Payette says number one organization in the world for developing NHL talent is his favorite team, the London Knights. You're welcome, Payette. <laughs> well, I, I, I know, I know Ryan as well. I'm just going to, I'm going to first take a little bit of a, a, a gentle shot before. Don't be gentle. I'll, I'll Don't be gentle. No, it's, <laughs> I, I was just going to say like the London Knights were, were accustomed to powerhouse year after year, steep upward trend through the season this year, I actually thought something changed a little bit in London. I didn't see that steep upward curve from the Knights that you're usually seeing. I know they had some injury issues and whatnot. Um, having said that, just to bring it back to the draft too, I will I will throw Payette this bone and say, I thought Isaiah George probably was a bit of a steal in the fourth round. And that that is one player in the London Knights that looked, looked impressive to me and has potential, um, certainly where he was drafted. So, so we'll, give, I, I, we'll give Ryan that one. You know what? And it's a good point because he was Isaiah George, not a fun player to play against at all. And yeah, fourth round seems to be, uh, I, I, I certainly would have thought in the first three rounds myself. So yeah, for sure. That's where I had him for sure. But yeah. We, we know too, that uh, along with Ryan Payette's coverage, uh, the London Knights and the way they do business is really, I'm just going to say this. It's really good for the Ontario hockey league because I am positive Dan. And I think you, you get the same sense that they relish the role that they have as being the team that 19 other fan bases detest. It's perfect. It's everything this league needs. And if we just tie it back into the point about momentum from the playoffs and the conference final and the OHL finals uh, that this league needs to carry, they need a nice, healthy, antagonistic bunch in the forest city in 22, 23 to keep this fan base energized. Uh, it, absolutely. I mean, any, you and I both 
took our share of English over careers and, and stories and every good story needs a villain. And London is perfectly organizations have to strive to, to compete with. And, and that's only, like you said, it's only a good thing. It drives it. They recruit players to the league, which makes the league better. They force other teams to, to recruit. It's, it's only a good thing. I think this was a pretty good thing. We we should do it again. Dan, promise me that you'll come back and do at least one more of these with me, and uh, and we'll see what happens. Right, I'll try not to say too many more nice things about the London Knights just to keep my job security here. So <laughs> perfect. We we just want to keep Ryan Payette happy enough that he doesn't make it too difficult when we have to visit Budweiser Gardens. It's that simple. Fair enough, because you know he will. So. <laughs> Dan, thanks for doing this. It's been fun. Thanks, Parvo. Good talking. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.